all you positive heads out there, thanks for tuning your beautiful brainwaves into another episode of the Positive Head Podcast, which I'm excited to say we are now airing five days a week. Once a week, you can still hear an interview with a different consciousness change maker that is out there working tirelessly to help catalyze change and expand awareness across Spaceship Earth. But now, also, in addition to the weekly interview, on the other four weekdays, you can tune in to myself and my co-host, Dalian, giving interpretations of our favorite thought-provoking quotes, sharing a bit of inspiring or mysterious news, taking questions from the audience, and digging into any other mind-expansive topics we deem worthy of discussion. All right, all you positive heads, on this week's interview episode, I am thrilled to have Dada Gunamuktananda here with me. Dada has trained in meditation, yoga, natural health sciences uh, in multiple regions around the world, such as Australia, the Philippines, India. Uh, he's been a meditation teacher of Ananda Marga since 1995 and has taught and lectured on meditation in places such as New Zealand, Australia, Europe, the, the Middle East, the Far East. Most recently, he's been getting uh, a bit of attention from a stellar TEDx talk that he gave that is featured in that far out region of the world known as the wild, wild interwebs. <laughs> Hello, Dada. Welcome to the show. Hi, Brandon. Uh, great to be here. Yeah, so great to have you. I've I've looked very much forward to uh, picking your brain ever since I caught your TEDx talk, and uh, I as soon as I saw it, I was like, "This is definitely someone I need to have on the show." As consciousness is a major part of what we talk about, and of course, that's what you talk about. I believe uh, your TEDx talk was the final frontier consciousness, or or something Con- along those lines. Consciousness, title, right? consciousness, the final frontier. It's right, a take right. on the um, that uh, Star Trek line, you know, space the final. Frontier, so right, just, right, right. Perfect, yeah. perfect. Well, it uh, definitely was uh, was very well received. It seemed I I had it shared with me multiple times from people. So uh, yeah, I I took that as my my cue to go ahead and reach out. And you were kind enough to take the time to to chat with me. So um, I'm I appreciate it. Oh, I'm glad you reached out. I'm I'm happy to um to chat with you and feel free to pick my brains. Pick away. <laughs> You asked for it, Donna. You asked for it. <laughs> uh, so you're uh, well. First off, where where are you originally from? New Zealand, Wellington, New, New Zealand. New Zealand. Okay, okay. I I wasn't sure. I was going to say Australia. I thought maybe New Zealand. wasn't a hundred percent sure. So um, the accent sort of. Uh, I knew it had to be somewhere they're, like that. They're kind of similar. <laughs> in, in New yeah, Zealand, yeah, they are kind of similar. In New Zealand, we say that uh, um, Australia is the West Island of of New Zealand. <laughs> it's a kind of a joke because there's the North Island, the South Island, and then there's this big island to the west called Australia. Ah, yeah, I've heard of it. <laughs> yeah. So you are a teacher of uh, Ananda Marga meditation. Can you explain exactly what that is? Okay. Um, well, it's basically um, a way of uh, looking inside yourself, looking within, and trying to... Um, connect with a deeper sense of self within you. We all have a sense of self, a sense of existence, a sense of awareness. And meditation is trying to deepen that sense of awareness and uh, look within yourself and try to trying to find your deepest, innermost um, sense of sense of self. Mm. So we use a, a mantra. It's mantra based. Um, okay. it's, pro, it's proactive meditation. Um, it's a bit different to mindfulness, which is more passive, more, um, which is a more passive technique of just observing and 
you know, your breath and your thoughts. But this is uh-huh. taking it a step further and um, using mantra to really um, try to focus on your essential sense of self, which in the yogic philosophy um, is the, the essence of which is, uh, is, is infinite happiness or perfect peace and contentment, that feeling of that deepest feeling of love and, uh, and connectedness and self that we're all looking for. We call it bliss. Anandam. Anandam is a Sanskrit word meaning bliss or infinite happiness. So according to the yogic philosophy, we're all looking for um, that infinite happiness and the place to find that is within ourselves and meditation is the, is the way of um, doing that. Perfect, perfect. Well, is, yeah, so of course it's a question that I get from time to time and I'm certainly no, no expert, but you know, you have the, all these different approaches to meditation and as you even mentioned, you know, what, what led you to this particular form of meditation and is it, what, what is sort of the, the history behind it or, or roots of this particular approach to meditation? Well, I was, um, you know, I was at university and then I dropped out and then I was searching for, you know, a, a something deeper, a, a deeper way of living, um, a way of living which was more holistic and, you know, um, which, um, you know, really focused on a deeper purpose in our lives. And so I was searching for about a year or two. Um, living a kind of like um, you know a sustainable you know lifestyle. I had my own you know um, garden, and I, I had goats, and I was making my own bread, and you know all that kind of stuff. So I was living that kind of you know um, you know self-sustainable lifestyle, and at the mm-hmm. same time, I was I was doing a lot of reading about spirituality and meditation and things like that. And um, I just um, got to the point where I thought, uh, you know, okay, I've read enough. I don't want to do any more reading. I actually want to, you know, practice something. Sure. And I used, I used to go into town, into the, you know, nearby city once a week. And the next time I went into town, um, there were all these um, posters, you know, all over the place, plastered over walls and lampposts, learn meditation. And uh, that was on that night, so I went to it, and, and that was it. So I, I really didn't um, look around and experiment with different techniques or anything like that. Um, you know, you, maybe you could say by cosmic grace, I just was led to the, the right path for me. And, you know, right. ever since I found it, I haven't looked back, and I haven't uh, had the need to, to search for anything else. Yeah, exactly. It's you didn't have to find it; it found you. And uh, <laughs> exactly, that's right. That's that's a great way of putting it. Yeah. There's an interesting book uh, you may be familiar with uh, called "The Book of Secrets" by Osho. Are you familiar with this by chance? I'm not familiar with the book. Of course, I'm. I, I know of Osho. Okay, and what it is is basically these. Uh, you know, based off of this, uh, of course, ancient. Um, Hindu text, and it's uh, different. It's like 120 different meditation techniques, and supposedly the idea with this is uh, one of these will be right for anyone kind of thing. And it's a really big book, and it's, you know, it's taking these passages, you know, these 5,000-year-old texts or whatever it is, and, and then Osho kind of explaining what is meant by each one of them. 
and uh, kind of given an explanation. So I, I've looked at that. I certainly haven't read it from front to back. And I've, I've experimented with different meditation techniques out of that book. And of course, you know, other uh, more common uh, approaches that you hear about, you know, like monitoring your breath and so forth. So I'm always interested having myself never... I guess I would say I've I've experimented with different forms of meditation and I haven't ever found the one that I feel like, okay, this is the only way I'm going to try and meditate. So I'm always very interested when I find someone who is, I guess, um, you know, found a a discipline or approach that, that is ideal for them. So uh, in in this case, it's, it's very mantra based. It sounds like, so I'll have to, I now really wasn't even familiar with this particular, uh, you know, form of meditation or meditation technique prior to to this so i'll have to look into it more there's a, a website uh yes uh, all if based you, on this yes if you go to um actually if you go to anandamarga.org a-n-a-n-d-a-m-a-r-g-a.org uh uh-huh. you can there's a learn meditation button um and you can actually sign up for a a free online introductory course Oh, cool! And and then as a follow-on to that, you can, you know, you can tell us, um, you know, in which area you live, and we can refer you to a to a, a teacher where you can um, who, who you can learn your personal mantra from. So we also have a series of personal mantras, and okay. um, and uh, you can have the opportunity to learn your own personal mantra. Okay, great. That's that's somewhat familiar, uh, similar to uh, transcendental meditation as well, right? Isn't that how how that is done? You get your own personal mantra. Yeah, except you don't pay for it with us. Okay, gotcha. It's free. Gotcha. It's free. <laughs> um, I haven't actually practiced transcendental meditation, um, but of course, I know the con- the, the concept seems similar. Mm-hmm. Um, but I couldn't say how similar it is because I haven't actually practiced it. Right. Um, but what I can say is that, um, you know, we, we teach, um, you know, a, a system of meditation that has evolved, um, you know, over thousands of years. Uh, it, it, it was originally systematized um, 7,000 years ago. Oh, wow. And, yeah. So, um, and it's evolved um, over all that time. And, and my guru, um, Sri Sri Anandamurti, uh, systematized it. He kind of brought it all, um, you know, up to date for modern day living. I see. And, um, and added a lot of stuff as well. So it's a, a very, comp- you know, tried and tested, very comprehensive system of meditation, which is entirely appropriate and applicable for our modern day lifestyle. Very interesting. I will certainly look into it in my area, and I'm sure some of our listeners will as well. You know, for me, transcendental meditation, I've always heard such great things about it, but in... in I You know, once again, I'm not... There's zero judgment with this statement, but... It always kind of rubbed me a little, just you know, that little bit of wrong. Like, okay, they're charging to teach you, med- you know, for for your. It's all. It, I don't know something about the charging aspect of it. I actually went to an introductory class. I don't know, fifteen years ago or something. And at the time, it just kind of it set with me funny. And and I'm not going to say it's wrong in any way. It could, you know. And I've heard. I probably heard, you know, as much or more good about that approach to meditation than any. So there's so much positive out there about it. And I certainly haven't experienced it to say, you know, it could be the best thing ever and be worth, you know, a, a billion dollars, right? But uh, um, yeah, that's something that really it just 
you know, um, we, we say that it's priceless. You know, it's you, you can't right. put a price. It's it's um, the most valuable thing that we could possibly learn, and because it's um, you know it's taking us to our deepest sense of self. Uh, you know, it's it's fulfilling our deepest desire. Yeah. And um, we don't charge for it because we believe that it should be available to everybody and that there should be yeah. no barrier to learning it. Yeah. And, yeah, and you I know, remember we've, it. we've been doing that for, for over 50 years now since Anandamaga was started in 1955. And, wow. um, and, and you know, we've, we've done pretty well um, without having to charge for it. Right, right. Yeah, and it's um – yeah, I think maybe – and maybe at the time it kind of bothered me that little bit that I'm kind of referring to because I was I was a starving artist at the time. You know, I didn't have two, two nickels to rub together. And so I was like, oh, I really want to do this. I've heard such great things, but I, I, I'm, I'm so broke at this time in my life, you know. Well, and, you uh, so that's a, a, a very good example of, um, you know, money um, being an obstacle to you learning the technique. Yeah. So right. We don't want that to happen to anybody, so we don't charge for it at all. Very interesting. Well, I'll definitely take a take a look at it. Um, now, you're. I'm going to talk uh, quite a bit about your TEDx talk because you touched on so many interesting things in that, and I encourage the uh, listeners to also go and you know find it online. It's pretty easy if uh, they search your name and. Um, you know, uh, or TEDx, along with TEDx, it comes right up. But uh, tell us. Uh, you, just need to, you just need to Google TEDx data and you'll get, you'll get exactly. it. Exactly. There you go. Yeah. That way, guys, I won't, we won't make you spell the last name. <laughs> just D-A-D-A and TEDx. Um, That's right. Now, you started off actually going sort of a traditional route with uh, medical school and you had a funny story about that. Um, can you, can you tell us about yeah. kind of that, that, that introduction? Well it, well, it all seems like a past life now. I mean, I don't usually talk about it um, because I've kind of, you know, I've forgotten that phase of my life. But they wanted me to, I mentioned it to the organizers and, and they wanted me to say something about it. So mm-hmm. I just did a kind of a little, you know, just a, a brief kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I was at medical school and I, you know, I'd, I'd been, you know, like a lot of us, I'd been conditioned to believe in, in um when I was growing up in in high school, that um, <coughs> excuse me, you know, in order to be happy, you you need to have a good job and everything, and you should have a good career. So I didn't really have much of an idea what I, really what I wanted to do at that stage, but I just kind of you know, I I went into into that field and um, just went along with it, and um, eventually realised. As I was kind of, as my mind was opening up to new possibilities, you know, ideas and possibilities, um, I realized that uh, it wasn't really um, where I wanted to be. So I, I dropped out. And, yeah. um, you know, and, uh, and then as I said before, I, I spent uh, two or three years living a kind of, a, you know, bohemian kind of, you know, self-sufficient lifestyle. And, um, and then I found meditation and yoga. So, you know, I'm... Now I'm where I want to be. I've been I've been there ever since. So I think you know, that was the right thing to happen. Absolutely, absolutely. And you made an interesting comment in the um, in your talk where you, you mentioned science is just coming to what you know yogic science has known for millennia that mm. consciousness is the pervading force of the universe and so forth. And of course, that's the general. Um, mm you know, uh, theme of the, of the talk. Can you, mm. can you speak a little on that? Well, 
you know, there's been this um, intuitional science of meditation or, you know, true spirituality for, for thousands of years. And I say spirituality, not religion. Right. Religion, you know, religion is a, is a distortion of, or, or you know, I, I won't say distortion, but in any case, true spirituality, I, 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 I think it's fair to say, is the essence of all religions and all kinds of, um, you know, new age practices and, you know, the essence of all the, you know, self-transformational things that we do to, to, to really try and fulfill ourselves. So, you know, this, um, um, this practice of spirituality has evolved for thousands of years. Um, you know, according to my guru, uh, it, you know, it was about 10,000 years ago that human beings on this planet really started to, you know, to, to get the depth of understanding and the opportunity to really, um, you know, ponder and contemplate the essence of our existence. Why are we here? What, what are we doing? And, and that gradually gelled into, um, you know, spiritual pra- practice around 7,000 years ago. And it's gradually evolved um, since then. And, you know, things like religions have kind of branched off it. It's like, a, you know, the trunk of a tree. And then, you know, there's various branches that have... Um, right. and, and even, for example, Christianity, I believe, is a branch of yoga. You know, oh, so interesting. E- even the Semitic religions, I believe, have... Have stemmed from from this um, you know line of, of of you know real true spirituality. So um, yeah, so part of that has been an understanding, an intuitive understanding, not just, not merely an intellectual one, that we are part of a oneness which pervades the entire universe, and that oneness that you know you can call it. You know, consciousness, you can call it awareness, you can call it a force, you can call it whatever you like, but it's the same thing. It's, uh, it's the essence of, of everybody and everything. And uh, it's beyond thought, it's beyond the mind. It's the, the mind exists within it. Our own consciousness is, is part of the infinite consciousness of the entire universe. Not only part right. of, but one with. We are we are all one with the infinite consciousness, just like, you know, there are many waves on top of the ocean and each one has its own individual identity. But it's a, it's a relative identity, a transitory identity, a very temporary identity. But still, each wave is part of, is one with the ocean. Right. So that's, that's been the philosophy of yoga for, for thousands of years. And, and as I said, people have come to that um, understanding, not merely intellectually, but really experiencing it, um, realizing that state of oneness through, through meditation and, and spiritual practices. Um, we call that self-realization in, in, in yoga, the realization of oneself um, through, through, through the deepest experience of oneness with with that um, essential, you know, consciousness that pervades the universe and, per- and pervades each and every one of us. So finding that consciousness, the deepest essence of oneself within ourselves. And um, so being, um, a, you know, that, a, a very deep experience, which is beyond thought, you know, beyond the mind, 
it's not possible to, you know, that this was, you know, one of the, the, the main parts of my TEDx talk, that it's not possible to actually, you know, prove it objectively, prove the existence of that state, that right. essence of ourselves objectively. It's only possible to experience it subjectively. But, it, you know, you know uh, scientists um, say, oh, we only believe what we can prove or what we can see. Um, so one of my, you know, things that I said there was that, um, okay, if you want to only believe um, what you see or what you can prove, fair enough, but that doesn't give you the right to discount what you can't see or can't prove. Right. You know, that's right. illogical. It's, it's illogical to say that if you can't see something or you can't prove something, then it doesn't exist. That's that's an affront to, to, to science because science should be rational and, and, and logical. Yeah, so in a, way, in a way, our current, you know, where science has headed in the last, you know, 50 or 100 years has been um, in, into dogma. You know, science yeah. has become the dogma, the modern day dogma. Right. In some sense, it seems to have almost uh, uh, replaced or become another sort of religion and, exactly. uh, you, yeah. and you talked you talked about you know actually having that experience in, in earlier referencing spirituality versus religion and for me that's really the key differentiation is you know religion is uh, reading about someone else's uh, spiritual experience or hearing about it and hearing from something external of self about how to uh, connect with divinity, whether it's through this character that was born thousands of years ago or whether it's through your your uh, you know priest or preacher or whatever, whoever it may be, you know, uh, they're, the, they're the access point to your divinity, whereas spirituality is about having those firsthand spiritual experiences and connection yourself. And of course, right. uh, we, and, and of course, we all have it. It's the, you can only, maybe you haven't, you know, since it, I think it's so close, people are missing it a lot of times with the, with the whole religious, um, you know, they're getting kind of taken with religion. It's been put in their head since they were young. They've never even thought about having spiritual experiences. So it it, it seems absurd when you start talking to, to them about it or blasphemous or what have you. Mm -hmm. And really, it's quite natural. Well, you know, I, I think either, either people, especially in the past, have gotten, you know, carried away with the superficial aspects of religion, which has masked the, the deeper and essential aspect of it. Um, or more recently, they've um, become they've gotten rea reacted to the religious dogmas, um, which is fair enough. And um, mm -hmm. but they've thrown it, thrown the, the baby out with the bathwater by saying that you know by becoming reacted to anything remotely to do with religion, um, including you know real spirituality. So you know, um, in one way or another, people have kind of been you know, um, diverted away from the essential search of human life, um, either by, you know, getting, you know, carried away with the, with the superficial aspects of religion or, or, or um, rejecting it altogether, rejecting the concept of spirituality altogether because of the uh, kind of a knee-jerk reaction to the dogmas of religion. But, you know, what I, what I usually... Um, tell people is that um, you know meditation is not about 
um, or, or spirituality is not about anybody telling you what to believe. It's about believing what you find within yourself. Right. Um, you know. So, as you said, it's 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 about the, the the subject of experience, the personal experience. It's good to okay, you 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 know, if you want to listen to people speaking about or trying to speak about it, because you know you can't. It's beyond the mind. You can't really speak about right. it. Right. <laughs> you know, you, point loosely in a direction, which is yeah. what this show is all about, or what our conversation is about. Is like, hey, we're <laughs> going to try our best to talk about this un this thing that's really you can't you can't fully understand without experience, right? And it's going right. to be unique for each one of us too, right? Right. You know, when I, I do a lot of, um, you know, meditation intros at yoga studios and festivals and things like that, when I talk about it, I, I usually spend, you know, half an hour, three quarters of an hour just, you know, talking about the concepts. And then I say at the end, look, you know, whatever I've just talked about, forget about it because that's just my sales pitch. That's just trying to, you know, yeah. um, convince you of the, you know, the, give you some idea of where we're heading and, and convince you of the benefit of meditation. Um, but, it, you know, it, it, it's only just, a, 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 you know, an approximation, a kind of a, you know, a, um, an attempt at a, at a roadmap of, of where we're heading. But to really experience it, you have to um, actually practice it and look within yourself. Absolutely. Yeah, we, we actually... Um recently did a we do daily podcast as well where myself and my co-host just talk about various stories and so forth and it was a uh, a few few weeks back where we talked about a Buddhist monk who showed uh, unheard of brain activity during meditation. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him. Uh, 66-year-old Tibetan monk and geneticist, which was I thought was interesting, and he produced uh, gamma waves links uh, that were uh, linked, as they put in the article, linked to consciousness, attention, learning, memory, and never before reported uh, on the level. Um, when he meditated on compassion, the researchers were shocked that his brain produced a level of gamma waves off the charts. So it, it went on to say that, you know, he, he demonstrated excessive activity in his, uh, I believe, the left prefrontal cortex compared to the right counterpart, part, meaning he had uh, abnormally large capacity for happiness and a reduced, uh, you know, uh, propensity towards negativity is what the article kind of talks about. And it's uh, it's pretty interesting because you get the people who are really caught up on the scientific aspect of this stuff. So not only is there the the benefit of you know this the whole spiritual side and in, in, in expanding one's consciousness, but when you even look at look at it from a scientific, that's what I love how science is really sort of. Uh, merging with spirituality on so many fronts now as our science gets uh, more advanced. Yes. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, the, the scientific aspect of the meditation is basically just to affirm and confirm the, the use of meditation in our lives. Right, right. Um, you know, it, it, it really has no other use. Um, yeah. You know, and 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 reading about it, um, you know, meditation and listening to people talk about it, you know, also has that, you know, the, the same purpose. Okay, it's good to do that. Um, and um, there are, and we're lucky now that we have a lot of scientific studies that are, although they can't, um, you know 
prove the subjective experience of meditation directly, they mm -hmm. are able to give us some idea of um, that it's actually working. So I, I've, I've found a kind of a, a very brief summary. So initially we had, you know, in the old days, we, we had the, you know, the EEG electroencephalography kind of studies where they would attach, you know, electrodes to the brain. And, and right. as you said with the, um, the Buddhist monk, um, they could measure things like gamma waves and, um, you know, the, um, they could, you know, we can see that um, during meditation, the normal, um, I think it's, uh, what is it, alpha or beta waves um, transform into, um, into the more kind of like uh, um, smooth flowing, you know, gamma right. waves, brain right. waves. And then more recently, we've, we've had brain imaging you know, techniques like magnetic resonance imaging and stuff like that, that, um, you know, are able to measure, you know, um, to show um, changes in blood flow in different areas of the brain and stuff like that, and equating that to, you know, what those areas in the brain are usually used for. Um, and then there's, you know, neuroplasticity studies that, um, you know, demonstrate the brain's ability to change its structure and function um, right. with meditation. Um, so all these, um, um, and there's also an interesting, um, you know, um, development now with the, um, uh, they, they've seen that the ends of chromosomes um, uh, yeah. are, I think they, they're called telomeres, they, um, they, they become worn down um, uh, or, or they, they shorten with time and that, um, you know, that leads to aging. Um, and they found that, you know, the meditation can, um, you know, uh, regenerate the, the ends of the chromosomes and, and prevent aging and degenerative, you know, diseases. So all these different, you know, studies of late have pointed to, you know, meditation working, um, you know, albeit through different physical effects. Um, as I said before, they can't, you know, you can't, Prove the efficacy of it uh, subject subjectively, but um, you know you you can you can see that um, through these different things that um, something is happening um, in the body and in the mind. Um, so you know this whole thing um, you said before. You know um, you referred to um, my TEDx talk when I said that. Um, you know, science is now coming to the, the same, converging on the same conclusions as, as yoga and meditation has for thousands of years. You know, they're now, they've been searching for the essence of matter um, for many years now in quantum physics. And they're finally realizing that the essence of matter is actually beyond matter. It's the, right. the, the essence of matter is not matter at all. It's it's um, and I believe they that, that, that they must come to the conclusion now that the essence of matter is in fact consciousness because it's the only way you can go from there. Yeah, and that's something that you also talked about uh, in your uh, in your talk that I thought was is it was a great story and perhaps you could share. Uh, it made me think of it when you just said that where where they're looking for these things. Uh, you talked about the Sufi mystic story uh, and looking for the keys. Could you share that one? Oh yeah. Um, well, you know, I, I, I think it's a, 
it's a good um, story to kind of, you know, um, illustrate that, you know, we, we usually look in the wrong place for what we're looking for. Right. Um, so, you know, there was a, a, a Sufi mystic um, called Naz- Nasruddin, and he lived uh, about 500 years ago. He was actually um, a real person. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I visited his hometown once in, in Turkey, and they've got a statue of him um, riding his donkey backwards. So that gives you some <laughs> idea of what kind of guy he was. He was a very quirky, eccentric <laughs> kind of guy. And there are a lot of funny stories um, you know, around you know, the way he used to teach. So one of those stories goes that he'd lost the key to his house, and he was looking for it one night outside under a street lamp. And, um, you know, a lady passed by and she said, what are you doing? He said, I'm looking for my house key. I lost it. And uh, she said, where did you lose it? He said, oh, somewhere inside my house. (laughs) And, you know, so naturally she said, well, if you lost it inside your house, why are you looking for it out here? He said, because it's dark inside. I wouldn't be able to see anything. (laughs) So, you know, uh, to me that illustrates the, the human condition kind of thing, that what we're looking for is ultimately within ourselves. But up till now, at least, we've been looking for it outside in the wrong place, you know, we've been, we've been trying to satisfy our limited, um, our, um, our, our unlimited, our limitless longing for happiness, for fulfillment, um, through the, the limited things of the world. And the problem with that is that a limited thing can't give you a, a, an unlimited amount of pleasure or happiness. Right. You know, all, all the things in the world, even if we had the whole world at our disposal, you know, it can only give us a, lim- uh, a limited amount of happiness. But we, you know, according to the yogic philosophy, as human beings, we have a limitless thirst for, for happiness. And, and that limitless thirst can only be quenched um, by looking within ourselves. Right. Right. And it really, uh, you know, when I heard the story, it made me think, well, it is so easy to get distracted by all the glitz and glamour of the external material world where it is truly dark inside. When you're meditating and closing your eyes, what's happening? It's it's dark, you know? Uh, so you're looking for this thing. Well, it, you know, the answer to happiness must be out there where all the glitz and glamour is, all the shiny objects and all the, the people. And, you know, it must be hiding somewhere out here. But, uh, you know, the much more, less assuming, um, you you know, inner state of calm and, and diet, uh, darkness and, you know, quiet and so forth. It seems less likely of a place, I suppose. So people are indeed looking in the wrong yeah. place when they're looking at the external world. And in my opinion, and in many others, and I'd imagine you're probably agreed to, to, you know, some, some level or another that the external is merely a reflection of the internal state anyway. So, you know, it's always reflecting back uh, something that mirrors a, a vibrational offering that you've previously made. You know, I've heard it said, if you want to know what you'll see tomorrow, look at what you've felt and, and thought about and, you know, uh, vibrated kind of in resonance with today, right? And so when you're constantly looking at the result of your own projections, it's hard to get to the root of where everything is coming from, <laughs> I would well, say. Well, you know, the problem is that, um, you know, when we, when we first look within ourselves, it, it does seem to be dark. That's true. Right. Because we're not accustomed to looking within ourselves. Um, you know, we've, we've evolved. Um, we've, we've been conditioned. We've been educated to, to only look outside. 
to you know to have a to develop our relationship with the outside world, with the people and things of the world, and so you know the people and things of the world are accessible to us because you know because we can sense them, we can perceive, we can we can think. You know that's what we're very good at doing. We're very good at thinking and sensing and perceiving and do and and acting. Um, right. But we're not. We haven't uh, um, become accustomed to introspecting, to contemplating, to looking within ourselves and really, you know, reflecting on the deepest um, level, which is meditation. So I think it's a question of accessibility. You know, the the um, worldly or or external. Um, you know, perception and um, experience and happiness is very accessible to us. The only problem is that, you know, it's, it's not ultimately fulfilling. Right. Um, whereas our, the greatest fulfillment, the ultimate fulfillment that we um, can find within ourselves, and according to the yoga philosophy, we will find, it's inevitable for each and every one of us to find that um, ultimate um, fulfillment that we're all looking for within ourselves. It's just a question of, of, of time. And uh, so this is a very positive aspect of the yogic philosophy that it's inevitable. We're all on that journey. We're all heading right. that ultimate destination, that ultimate state of awareness, that ultimate state of being. So anyway, in the meantime, you know, it, it's inaccessible to us because we're not accustomed to it. We're not accustomed to looking within ourselves. So initially, it does seem dark in there. Um, but, you know, I, yeah. I've had experiences in meditation where, you know, uh, that that darkness has suddenly been illuminated into the most brilliant, uh, you know, um, light and experience that, that I could possibly imagine having. And... Um, you know, it's it's not something that I can talk about or or, or try to replicate in any way. Um, yeah. But but it's there, you know, and I've experienced it, and and I know that if you know, I've experienced it um, once or twice or many times or whatever. Um, even though I'm not experiencing it right now, I know it's there, right. and I know that ultimately I can experience it. Uh, um, you know, on an ongoing basis. Right. There only has to be one black swan to know they're not all white. Right? <laughs> right, right. So once you've had the experience and you actually reference also in your talk, uh, Dr. Eben Alexander, who I had the pleasure of recently interviewing. And he oh, talked great. about, you know, this this whole experience as well of, you know, it, it being here, his, you know, as you talked about, his brain was completely Bride in a coma, you know, with this rare form of meningitis, there was, you know, less than a 1% chance of him coming back. The doctors were like, you know, he's done, unplug him. Meanwhile, he's having this, as he called it, ultra real experience beyond, mm. um, you know, beyond, uh, he, he came back and actually said that this seems dull comparatively. This seems like the dream or the illusion. And that seems way more vivid. And meanwhile, his brain had no, his neocortex gone no no brain activity he should not be having any type of experience and i think that's why his story got so much press is because here's a you know harvard neurosurgeon mm -hmm. and you know a brain specialist and then he of course uh coincidentally quote unquote gets this rare form of meningitis that destroys his brain and he has he realizes you know as he put it that 
Um, you, you know, the, the, I think you even referenced him calling sci- modern science, you know, still in kindergarten by looking or even postulating that the brain forms consciousness. He's like, it's the exact opposite. It, it acts more mm-hmm. as a valve uh, for consciousness to, uh, to let consciousness in in this limited manner. And when you remove the brain from the equation, essentially like happened with him or people have had with all kinds of, you know, through meditation, through experiences with various, you know, plant medicines and so forth. It can, you know, that valve is burst wide open and uh, you, you, right. you sense and can, can experience so much more that is, of course, beyond words. Yes, because usually the, the brain, which, you know, the, the mind, um, you know, which, which according to the yoga philosophy is not a function of the brain. It, it, use, it, it, the, it uses the brain, it needs the brain in order to express itself. So, you know, this is the essential um, difference that we have with material science. Material science, it says that the mind and consciousness is a function of the brain or a product of the brain, whereas whereas yogic philosophy says that, um, you know, consciousness um, is the essential reality and that the brain is is the vehicle of the mind. It's, It's needed for the expression of the mind. The brain exists uh, within consciousness, not consciousness within the brain, right? Ex- exactly. Exactly. Well, everything exists within consciousness. Right, consciousness exactly. Is the of, you know, this, this universe is an expression of, of, of consciousness, and consciousness pervades every, every particle and every one in the universe. People, animals, and plants, you know, everything has a, has a soul, even inanimate matter. There right. is consciousness latent in inanimate matter because inanimate matter is also an ex- is also a, a part of that uh, expression. It is also an expression of consciousness. Right. So, um, so getting back to yeah. So, um, so he had a, you know, he had a, a spiritual experience. I believe it was a, a deeply spiritual experience, and many people have that experience. Right. Um, whether it's through a near-death experience like he had, uh, and 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 they were, you know, they say the same thing as the as the ancient mystics and yogis and self-realized people of the past. That um, you know, that, first of all, that many of them say that they don't want to come. They didn't want to come back. Right. And, right. It's depressing <laughs> to come back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and um, and many of them um, say that um, and and the you know the overriding kind of you know essential kind of experience is that it's the the perception is that it's a it, it it's a greater reality than our own reality, right? You know, it's uh, of course you know our own perception and um, a state of awareness is also reality, but um, it's. As you say, as you used, as said, in, with, when you used the analogy of the valve, you know the mind filters out um, the uh, acts as a, a, a filter for our experience, and and it it clouds the the essential reality which is within us. So right. you know our our minds are continu- continually telling us a story about who we are and what we do. And that story becomes our reality. But that reality is just a, a temporary and a relative reality. 
um, right. which, which has clouded over the essential reality within us. So once we, you know, when we can actually experience, go deeper, go, go deeper than the mind, go beyond the mind and experience the essence uh, of ourselves, you know, within, experience the essential reality within, everybody, within ourselves and within everybody and, and everything, then we realize we can really feel, this is what I was referring to when I said, you know, in meditation, I've had these, these experiences where, you know, we really feel that there's a, a much more profound state of existence than our everyday uh, existence. And, um, you know, and, and, and people like Eben Alexander and, and uh, other people that have had near-death ex- experiences and yogis and mystics and, and saints and sages of the past and, you know, and I suppose, you know, have in, you know, in, present, in the present day um, world they exist as well. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they've all had that same experience of a deep and profound feeling of oneness with the essential right. consciousness of the universe. And that, yeah. and that experience is is a much um, is it is a much more absolute and and um, profound experience than our everyday reality. Well, that's one thing that I really, of course, resonate with very strongly is a, in my own spiritual belief system. And, of course, many people resonate with this idea of oneness and the separation between us is an elaborate illusion. It's an, you know, we're in a holographic reality. Essentially, we're talking to extensions of self right now. <laughs> and mm. this is how the one consciousness that we're a part of uh, entertains itself throughout eternity, right? And right. I, that's what I love love about the experience that so many people that have, whether through meditation or breath work or, you know, eye gazing or taking D, a sub- molecule like DMT or near-death experience, you know, l- the similarity of what they're coming back with, especially when they go to these other realms of reality, and it's this all pervading oneness it's all the same consciousness this deep uh, sense of love and whereas you know you take things more like uh, organized religion perspectives and there's so much separation that's created and it's kind of the antithesis of that it's like no my way no my way no this is the this is the path to to attain mm. you know to be in heaven forever and it's meanwhile you know from my perspective we're in eternity now because we know time is an illusion so if there were heaven or hell it's happening now right so right, right. and that and this, uh, so, of course mm. sorry go ahead and you know uh in a sense we we're existing um well you know in reality we we are we are exi- already existing as our deepest selves. We right. are uh, what we're essentially looking for. We, we, are, we already are what we're searching for. Um, we, in a sense, we don't need to attain anything or to be anything other than what we already, what we already are. We just have to realize what we are, experience right. it in the deepest sense of the of, yeah, you know, in the deepest possible sense, which is beyond um, any, you know, any thought experience. It's beyond the mind. It's beyond any intellectual process. Now, I believe that, um, you know, there, there, are, there are trillions and trillions and trillions of, of uh, planets in this universe 
that are um, habitable. And, and I believe that uh, uh, very strongly that there are, you know, of course, many other human societies um, in this universe of varying stages of development. And I believe that on our planet, uh, you know, we've, we've been, you know, human beings have been alive on this planet for maybe, I don't know, a million years or so. We've gone through a very long period of, um, you know, physical, predominantly physical existence, which has been, you know, you know, for the for most of the time, um, not much uh, more evolved than you know than animal experience, um, and you know more recently we've gone through a period of of uh, you know intellectual evolution. So for the past you know ten thousand years or so, humanity on on this planet has has um, you know developed you know, mentally, intellectually. And uh, we, we've ultimately got to this stage of inter intellectual development and expression that we are at now, um, you know, where we've right. developed science and technology and analysis and, you know, creativity and arts and, you know, all, all these kinds of things to a very high degree. But I believe that we've come to the, to the limit of usefulness of, well, well, maybe not to the limit, but we, we've, you know, we've, we've approached the limit of usefulness of all these things, um, especially as it relates to our deepest search. So now, so, so we've had in the past, you know, this, a very, as you say, a very kind of uh, intellectual and analytical and, and um, exclusive and ultimately dogmatic interpretation of spirituality within, you know, three different religions and things like that, saying, you know, um, you know, one religion says, oh, this is the only way, and the other says this is the only way. Well, you know, the two can't be right. Um, you know. Right. So, so, so now we're, we've, we've come to the stage where, um, you know, if we're really going to um, continue uh, the, the process of evolution, our evolution um, as human beings on this planet, um, we've got to we've got to take it further. And now we're we're and now we have the ability to take it further because we've we've reached that um, that level of evolution where you know we 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 can we can now go to the next phase. And the next phase is um, the intuitional phase, the phase of you know. Um, Okay, we still need to use the intellect and to um, to to use different types of analyses in our lives and think about things and you know um, interact with the world in terms of um, you know um, uh, intellectual uh, analysis and expression. But at the same time, we you know. We're now moving into the phase. In fact, I, I think we're right in the middle of the phase, the, the phase now. There's a consciousness shift happening, and we're right in the middle of that. We're moving yeah. into that phase of you know, self-reflection, of intuition, of, of feeling the oneness, of realizing the oneness amongst ourselves and within ourselves more and more and more. But at the same time, we're also using our, we also have to use our brains in order to 
you know, deal with the different you know, external realities. Um, but we have to also, at the same time, take the time out every day to develop our intuitional capacity and, um, and really connect with that sense of self within ourselves. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, one now one question that I really am curious about, and this is one you hear a bit of, you hear a bit of controversy over this subject. Uh, you mentioned that you have a guru, and um, you know it makes me think of a, a documentary that I uh, was just listening to a review of um, a couple days ago called "Dying to Know," and it's about Ram Dass and Timothy Leary, and I, they were like you know great great friends, and but where they really separated was on this kind of idea of Ram Dass having a guru. Timothy Leary thought that was you know. Uh, not necessary and in the wrong direction to go. And you just hear this kind of come up, um, you know, I, I actually just, an article uh, popped up on my feed, you know, uh, coincidentally earlier today or synchronistically earlier today saying, you know, time to get rid of the idea of a guru. So as someone who's had a guru uh, and or has a guru, I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are on that and, you know, what, what you would have to say about it. Yeah, well, um you mentioned Ramdas and Timothy Leary. Um, yeah, that's um, that's a really interesting case because Ramdas was doing the um, LSD experiments with Timothy Leary at Harvard University, right? Um, in, in the late sixties, and they were, you know, Ramdas um, recounts how he, you know, he took hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, of LSD trips, right. and um, he was eventually fired for that, I think. <laughs> but but he came to the you know a really um, interesting you know thing that he said was that um, you know every time he took LSD he you know in the middle of the trip he would you know every time he would say to himself okay I'm never going to come down this time you know <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm just going to stay here this time I'm never going to come down. But of course, he said that he every time he you had you had, he had to come down. So he eventually came to the conclusion that you know you can't achieve that state of um, awareness that 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 ultimately expanded state of awareness um, by taking drugs. It's like right. you know you want to you want to go inside the house and taking drugs is like you know walking up to the window and. And looking, peeking in through the window, but you know you, yeah. you, you can you can pull yourself up to the window, but eventually you've got to come down again. And so, <laughs> your arms get tired. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so to, to really um, you know walk into the house, you have to you have to go round to the front door. You have to open the door, and you have to walk in, and that's what essentially what spiritual practice is. So what right. Ramdas. So this is where I think the where he started to differ from Timothy Leary, because Timothy Leary didn't didn't find. Um, a self-realized person um, who we, you know, we call a guru. Right. Um, what what happened is that Ramdas went to India and um, he he found through uh, you know through you know you can call it serendipity or whatever that he 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 was led to his his guru who was uh, Neem Karoli Baba, and Neem Karoli Baba was a self-realized person, someone who had. Um, was a pure reflection of consciousness who had realized his, his essential self, realized his being as, as one, one with, the, with the cosmic being, with the universal consciousness. And right. so he found 
Um, and he felt and he experienced a very profound um, awakening through Neem Karoli Baba. Now, right. you know, my guru, Sri Sri Anandamurti, uh, used to say that the guru is not the, the person. The guru is not the physical body. The guru is the, you know, once one becomes self-realized, one attains a a sense of a feeling of oneness with the cosmic consciousness. Mm-hmm. And, and the, 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 the true, the real definition of guru is that the cosmic consciousness, the infinite consciousness, the universal being, the, uni- the universal awareness is teaching us through a particular form, through a particular person. Right. And so, so if a person attains self-realization or you know, an ultimate feeling of oneness with the cosmic consciousness, then they're called a guru because the cosmic consciousness is able to, they, they act as a pure conduit for, the, for, the, for consciousness. Right. So the guru, so this is a very important concept, I feel, that the guru is, you know, we, we have a, an aversion to the concept of guru in the West because it's like, you know, we, we surrender ourselves or we worship or we, you know, we, right. we put ourselves at the mercy of one particular person, um, it, which is not the case at all. You know, the, the real concept of the guru is that you, you know, through a particular person, you receive the teachings of consciousness. And that makes a lot of sense to me. It seems that it's, as long as it's that, right, and it's someone who has truly uh, achieved some uh, advanced level of self-realization, so as you put it, you know, a clear sort of channel for, um, you know, this higher con- consciousness that we're all a part of, this cosmic consciousness, um, that, that makes total sense to me. It's it's working through this particular Person, I think, uh, you know, then you, of course, have stories of people who maybe were pretending to be that or, um, you know, it's, it's a more egoic kind of approach. So it's, it's almost like anything. If you have a bad apple, then it kind of starts to taint the whole idea. And I, it, to me, and I'm no expert on this matter, and that's why I was very interested to hear your take. It seems like you probably, you have people who are sincerely, um, you know, playing that position. You probably have others who maybe are, are for more, uh, you know, less advanced reasons, <laughs> more earthly control, ego based reasons, maybe playing a, a, a role like that. And, uh, and sorry, go I, ahead. I, I'd, I'd probably say 99.9% of the people that proclaim themselves or, you know, allow themselves to be known as gurus are, are, are not, in fact, gurus in the true sense of the term. Are not? But okay. Are not, no. Oh, wow, okay. That's a, that's uh, a high you know, number. Yeah, there, there's, there's many pretenders. There's many, um, um, you know, charlatans. Um, yeah. You know, if you go to India, most of the so-called sadhus or, you know, the holy men of India are are not that at all. They're, you know, they just do it for show or they do it for the, the wrong reasons. Um, but the fact is that, um, you know, there, there is a very small percent. They do exist, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. The, the gurus in the real sense of the term, that they are self-realized um, masters that have, have um, you know, through, through a lot of hard work and practice, have attained that state of oneness with the, with the universal consciousness. Um, and the thing is that 
you know, so so I understand our kind of aversion to, you know, being duped or being, you know, put under the control of, of someone who who's, you know, not worthy of, of, of you know, the term guru. Um, right. But they do exist. And, you know, um, if, if you... If someone, you know, if you were blind, um, you'd want to, you you wouldn't want to be led by someone that's also blind. You'd want to be led by someone that that can see. And and this is what this concept is, that, you know, um, we, in a sense, we're spiritually blind at at the moment. Um, You know, we have, our our essential reality is what we're ultimately looking for. In a sense, the guru is our own selves within ourselves, you know, teaching us. uh, you know, just as the cosmic consciousness is within everybody and everything, that cosmic consciousness is also the essence of our own selves teaching us and and showing us the way. So you know, we're we're looking for we're we're looking for that connection to our essential selves, but but at the moment we don't have it fully. You know, we're in a way we're spiritually blind to some extent or another. So you know, we want it's best to be to take. Um, to, to to take the instruction to take the to, to to take the map from somebody that has been there that that really knows right. how, you know that that's you know has experienced um yeah. uh, what we're what we're looking for right right and you know if if there is such a high percentage of people out there who are not the real deal so to speak you certainly that's uh not doing the concept any favors right um and and it also makes sense to me that people would there would be certain people who their life path is to find a, an authentic guru like that's that's in their you know that's sort of part of what they're called to do. There, there's this connection with this other being, even prior to their physical incarnation, where part of their plan is to find this other being. So they feel very drawn to that that sort of idea. Or it's you know there's many many paths to to get back to where we're going essentially, right? And that being one of them, uh, maybe another person's is to to figure it out all on their own. That that would be my take. You know, it's just uh, it's it's one way that that is as a is a possibility. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I was like that when I dropped out of uh, university and I spent that time, you know, searching and reflecting and really trying to find a deeper meaning in life. Yeah. But, you know, I, I, you know, essentially I said to myself, well, look, you know, I'm wasting my time doing, you know, something that I really don't want to do and, you know, maybe making a lot of money and being, you know, uh, um, materially comfortable. But I didn't place any importance on that in the end because I thought, well, look, you know, there must be more to life than this. And the important thing is to to really try to fulfill oneself in the deepest sense. So I was in that position. Yeah. And then one of the, one of the books that I uh, read or series of books was the Carlos Castaneda books. Um, oh, yeah. You know uh, about Don Juan, the, um, the Mexican, uh, the the American nodule, um, right? He, sorry, and a, a, a nodule. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, yeah, or, yeah. I think I'm pronouncing it wrong, but yeah, yeah. whatever the pronunciation is. Um, so he was a Native American um, um, uh, person in Mexico who who was Castaneda's guru. Right. There's there's some controversy whether he actually actually existed, whether the whole thing was fictional, but I think that the important thing is that um, you know I, I mean it's not important whether he existed or not. The important thing was that when I read those books, 
I actually mm-hmm. got a very good sense of, you know, the the guru, right. what the guru ac- actually is, and and um, you know whether it was true or not. He he portrayed very well the the feeling um, and the sense of of deeper consciousness within someone um, that's um, that's worthy and that's um, able to to project um, that ultimate reality within yeah. themselves and to others. So that's. So in a, in a sense, I got a kind of a feeling, oh, I, I really want to have my own guru, not a, any particular person mm-hmm. um, that's, you know, j- just any old person that, 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 that I'm going to listen to or, or, or learn from. But, you know, in the deepest sense, the, the, my, you know, my own self within me um, projected through another person that's capable of, of projecting that deepest sense of self. And that's what I found in my own guru. Yeah, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Now, what are your thoughts on, you know, of course, there's a lot of talk about sort of a, a spiritual revolution happening, quickening, more people waking up to this, uh, you know, uh, concept of oneness and, and so forth and spirituality. And I certainly see it all around uh, from, from, you know, where I view the world and my own perspective and experiences. What are your thoughts on, you know, the concept of um, ascension uh, happening or, or something, you know, ascension or enlightenment happening on mass scale on the planet? Yeah, I, I believe we're 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 now moving into a, a spiritual age on this planet. Um, you know, as I said before, I you know I think we've um, we've gone through a very you know long period of of a very basal existence as human beings on this planet. Then we went through you know about ten thousand years ago we went through the agricultural revolution. Um, right. So you know for for ten thousand years or so we you know we we developed. Um, you know the, the agricultural uh, an agricultural kind of you know lifestyle, and right. then more recently, you know, two or three hundred years ago, we went through the industrial revolution. So you know, we we went through that, and then fifty years ago or whatever it was, we 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 had the information revolution, right? And 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 of course, we're currently in the in the midst of. Of you know of that the the pinnacle mm-hmm. we're in the, we're at the pinnacle of the of the information revolution. We we might not be at the pinnacle. There might be more more yet, but it, you know it's hard to imagine that we could be more um, that we could be any more um, um, em, embroiled in the um, in the pros and cons of 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 the information. Right. Um, you know we I I think now. This concept of information overload has become a very real um, absolutely you know, concept for, for many people. I, I know I feel it myself every day. That, yeah. You know, um, so now um, I, I think an, a natural progression from that is that we're moving into the spiritual age, where we we're, we're not going to only know things intellectually and through information and 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 and, and other forms of. Um, objective knowledge, but we're also going to start to, we have started, we're also going to develop more and more and more this concept of, of knowing from within ourselves. And, and that's the next, uh, that's the spiritual age that we're moving into. The, you know, we're, we're, we're going to become, um, you know, we've, 
we've got, we're physical beings, we're also intellectual beings, now we're going to develop our intuitional side and become spiritual beings. We already yeah. are spiritual beings, of course. You know, there's that saying, we're not human beings having a spiritual experience, we're spiritual beings having a human experience. But, right. but I believe that that human experience is, is going to, you know, expand out more and more and more as time goes on now. And it's happening um, on an exponential time scale. It's, it's, it's getting faster and faster all the time. We're experiencing it. We're right in the middle of it now and it's getting more and more. That movement is accelerating more and more and more. But we're, get, we're you know, we're expanding out now our human experience into a much, um, a much more expanded and ultimately, um, you know, limitless way. Right, right, absolutely. One question that I have for you that I've been getting uh, actually from the audience uh, lately, and I noticed with some of uh, the posts that you were making online, I figured you were a great person to kind of uh, get your perspective on this is the concept as we advance spiritually and more and more people, you know, uh, come online, so to speak, um, the, the, you have the whole issues surrounding the environment, of course, and uh, the, the con- consumption of animals. You know, um, I, I think you posted something where a staggering, you know, 51% of global greenhouse gas emissions caused by animal agriculture. Um, and so we know from a physical sustainability, uh, it's, you know, perspective that it's impossible to continue with this kind of meat consumption thing and, and not cause a whole heap of troubles. It's just not, uh, sustainable. What are your thoughts though on the actual, and and then of course you've also got the health implications that you hear a lot about. Uh, and and of course I'm curious to hear your thoughts on any of it, but I'm really also uh, particularly curious to hear your thoughts on the spiritual implications surrounding that subject matter. I'm glad you asked that question about, um, you know, the environment and vegetarianism. Um, So basically, um, you know, spiritual practice involves meditation at its core, some kind of meditation. And and also different other practices that support the process of introspection or meditation. You know, there's yoga postures um, that that balance the hormones and... um, and uh, so, you know, keep the mind in a balanced state so that we can focus and, you know, um, concentrate in meditation. And, um, you know, there's, there's also the concept of, you know, um, ethical principles, having mm-hmm. a clear conscience. If you have a clear conscience, then you can, all, you have a, you know, clear mind and you, you can, you, you know, it allows you to go deeper. Um, there's the, you know, the concept of, you know, helping others as much as you can. The more you realize um, the oneness within yourself, the more you realize that you know um, everybody else is part of that oneness, and and in a sense, everyone is is part of you. You know, right? So you get closer to people, you get more compassionate, you get more empathetic. Um, so you know, the more you help others, the more it feeds into that feeling of expanded, you know, expanded feeling of. Of, of oneness with everyone else and the more you meditate the more you feel like helping others um, right. and so there's all these different practices um, that support the process of meditation they're all part of you know spiritual practice or yoga and um, another one is um, being vegetarian right so not not eating animals um, you know not not having to kill um, others um, 
for one's food. Well, you know, I, I mean, there's the, you know, someone could say, okay, we have to kill plants. But the, the concept yeah. is that you... You hear that you know, a lot. Yeah. Um, well, not a lot. But, you know, the, the, the concept is that you, 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 you try to eat those things that have a less developed um, feeling of awareness. So, you right. know, for example, a lettuce has a, you know, or a, a tomato or whatever has, you know, a less um, developed sense of self or awareness than a cow. Yeah. So, um, so regarding that, um, you know, it, as you say, it does have, have environmental implications, very, um, very strong environmental implications. Um, yeah, according to various sources, that, that, that's the statistic that – um, that um, you know, animal the animal industry um, produces more greenhouse gases than, for example, all the forms of transport in the world combined. Wow! Yeah, that's and staggering, isn't it? It is, and and it's a kind of a blind spot because no one wants to address it because no one wants to. St- I mean, you know, most people don't want to stop eating meat. Right. So, so there's this thing now that you know, you know, um, it was. Um, uh, I, I originally heard it from um, an, an ex cattle farmer in um, America. I can't remember his name, but he was on one particular documentary, and it was more recently echoed by James Cameron's wife, who um, they're both vegans and they've got a vegan base, a vegan school. Uh, uh, you know. Uh, primary school in, in America somewhere, um, mm-hmm. that you, you can't be, you know, you, you can't be an environment, you can't call yourself an environmentalist if you're, if you're still eating meat. Right. It, right. You know, it, and, it just doesn't. That's a powerful, to, powerful, but I would say accurate statement. Um, yeah. You know, well, it is. It, it, it really, is an accurate statement because, you know, if, if meat production um, as well as, um, you know, there's also the dairy industry as well, but it's predominantly meat. meat pro- if, you know, if meat production is um, producing more greenhouse gases than all the forms of transport in the world combined, then it is accurate to say that, you know, in order to be an environmentalist, right. you really have to um, be a vegetarian or vegan. Well, and when you start combining, and I'm someone, I, I stopped eating meat uh, about two years ago. And I still do eat some seafood, and, and I'm trying to wean off of that as well. The thing that I found is there's there's a more and more really good substitutes these days. I, I was someone, you know, I grew up in the in the South, uh, in Virginia, and you know, a lot of meat and you know that kind of mentality, and and so it. It's been much easier than I thought. And when you take, you know, not only this environmental aspect, then you also start looking at the health benefits mm. and or health risks. You know, uh, one of the documentaries that changed that really was a turning point for me was Forks Over Knives. I don't know if you've seen it, but it basically yeah. shows a ton of evidence that, you know, the, the primary cause of cancer and heart disease is meat proteins. And right. so you combine that. And then you mm. add in the spiritual implications of, you know, here's a, a pig that has uh, got the intelligence or, you know, they, they suggest that a pig has the intelligence of like a three-year-old, right, uh, human, mm. and it's being led to the slaughterhouse. It's treated in this inhumane way oftentimes and led to the slaughterhouse. The, the energy, if you believe in energy, if you believe what Nikola Tesla said, you know, if you want to understand the universe thinks in terms of frequency and vibration and, you know, all these things that we're talking about, well, what is the energy that is permeating that 
that uh, creature's life. You know, it's fear, it's pain, it's suffering, it's negativity. We know that uh, hormones are being released that are, uh, mm. you know, negative, that are very negative, tainting the meat itself. It's vibrationally and, you know, physically uh, tainted. So then you're ingesting that, um, you know, in a harsh way to put it is murder, but I mean, it is what it is. And mm. uh, you're ingesting the vibration of that whole thing and and uh, you trust me I, I i know from firsthand experience how difficult it is when that's what you're raised and you get used to, used to that and it tastes delicious to you because it's all you know but if you were used to something else and you had meat for the first time it would be disgusting it's all what you get mm. used to and i found from my own you know firsthand experience cutting it out was so much easier than i thought it would be as someone who who absolutely loved meat you know prior and and I'm still working on it and and there's no judgment in any of this from me anyway you know I I understand where I understand the dilemma essentially but I think we've got to inject more of this information into people's consciousness so they can see all these these are m- multiple issues when you talk about environment you talk about um, you know, the, the health implications and you talk about the spiritual implications, all signs point, you know, if it looks like a duck, quacks like a duck, <laughs> you know what I mean? The old saying <laughs> must be a duck. It's all signs in my, from, from my perspective, my lens, it point to us, uh, having to step away from that if in this next kind of chapter of our, uh, of our evolution. Wow. What could I add to that? <laughs> that, that? That was a brilliant expose of, uh, of, uh, what, of the reasons for being vegetarian. Oh, well, Fantastic. thank you, Dada. Great. You inspired uh, me. You inspired me, so thank you. Uh, <laughs> well, you've inspired me with that, uh, with that expose. Yeah, you, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, being vegetarian, not eating animals is, is, um, is good for the environment. It's good for... Um, other people because it has socioeconomic implications as well. You know, that um, most of the um, um, plant-based crops um, or or many of the plant-based crops in the Western world are fed into the meat industry, whereas they could could go into feeding um, otherwise hungry people in the world. So there's that implication as well. Yeah. And so it's good for the environment. It's good for other people. It's good for animals, of course. And, and it's good for us personally, um, you right. know, both physically and mentally. And I'm glad you touched on the mental aspect as well because, it, you know, it's, there's this kind of, uh, you know, we've had the tendency to focus only on the physical benefits of not eating meat. And right. as you mentioned in, you know, the documentary Forks Over Knives, they've done um, one, of the, um, one of the guys, there's two old guys that are um, – that did that movie, and one of them mm-hmm. did the China study. He's a doctor, and he was. Um, they did a huge study in China where they found that that there's, you know, incontrovertible evidence that um, that meat eating um, has a direct link with the two biggest causes of death in in the world, in the Western world, right. um, heart disease and cancer. Right. Um, in yeah. fact, the three biggest, because the third, the the third uh, biggest cause of death is um, through the treatment of heart disease and cancer. <laughs> right. So, right. so, so there's there's a lot of yeah. So there's a lot of um, you know evidence now, um, and they've done you know the China study is a very um, you know scientific study. They 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 had they had a huge um, yeah pool a huge of, um, population yeah yeah. 
So, um, so there's the physical aspect, but there's also the the the, the mental aspect of um, being vegetarian. That you know, food is is like a drug. Any all types of food um, affect the mind in different ways, and and there are some you know there are some types of food that we can eat um, that have a very positive effect on the mind um, as well as the body. And there are other types of food that we can eat that have a negative effect on the mind and, and, and may or may not have a negative effect on the body. So, for example, um, meat and eggs have a negative effect on the body as well as the mind. And um, there are two or three vegetables that have a, um, a negative effect on the mind whether or not they have a negative effect on the body, I don't know. But those are onions, garlic, and mushrooms. That have a negative effect on the mind. Yeah. I have yeah, never have heard a, this. Interesting. They, they, have a, they have a dulling effect on the mind. So this goes back to the, um, the ancient science of yoga. Um, when mm-hmm. they were developing the, you know, the, the practices and principles and practices of yoga, they, they found that um, there is a diet called a sattvic or a, a sentient vegetarian diet that um, you know is good for the body and good for the mind, and that diet is basically you know a, a vegetarian diet, um, but without onions, garlic, and mushrooms because they have a dulling. One vegetable, the one I'm not a picky person, and the one thing I cannot stand is onions. So I'm like over here doing backflips to hear that yeah, one. <laughs> right, right. So so you know um, there uh, there is that. Um, you know that the effect on the mind is kind of opposite to you know if you you know when you get that you know you, your mind is very clear you have a, a really good sense of clarity and, and inspiration yep. and and feeling of well being within yourself. It, yep. Onions, garlic, and mushroom you give you, tend to give you the the opposite. Interesting. Um, you, you know, and you hear that those things are good for you. You know, you hear garlic's good for you. You hear onion. So I've, I'd never heard that. I really would like to uh, look into this a little more. But, very, but very when you hear it's good for you, that again, that's focusing on the physical only. Right. Now, right. You know, they may be good for, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I mean, I, I don't really know how onions and garlic can be good for you physically because they're actually toxins. They're poisons. I mean, if you, I used to, you know, do organic gardening and, and, you know, if you plant it, you know, in the in, in organic gardening, you know, you know that if you plant a uh, a row of um, uh, garlic or, or or onions or something, that's going to keep the pest all the pests away. Oh wow! So because they're actually um, toxins, um, but I suppose they you know you know they have they have been good for curing colds and things like that. You know, purely because they're toxins because of their toxic effect to, uh, on microorganisms. Interesting. Um, but in any case, there's the mental effect that, that hasn't really been considered up till now, but is a very um, important aspect. In fact, you know, we, we say the most important aspect of a sentient vegetarian diet, um, you know, the, the, the effect on the, on the mind is very important. And you mentioned, uh, the, you know, the hormones from the animals that uh, have been killed. Right. And, and, you know, hormones, and people, yeah. yeah, people don't usually consider that, that, you know, not only... The, the the natural hormones like adrenaline and stuff that have be, that have been released when the animal knows it's going to be killed, um, and w- which you know when we eat can give us a you know I believe contribute very strongly to you know a- 
angst and depression and all these different, you know. Absolutely. Uh, well, think um, about so the animals that uh, every time a, a tsunami or something's coming, they they're so in tune with nature and what's going coming, what's they coming, are, they they flee, right? So they know what's coming. Essentially, they're more intuitive than we are. They are, in in some respects, they are. Um, so you know, they know very well when they're going to be killed, and and you know, and, and where when we eat um, the, their their flesh. It's only uh, it's only logical that we will you know those natural hormones are are still in the in the meat, and right. and they affect our minds. You know it's right. you, it's not rocket science um, to make to come to that conclusion. Right. Um, right. And there's also you know the whole you know the 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 aspect of factory farming the you know all the the cruelty and the um, you know um, everything involved in you know that they they feed them different um, hormones and chemicals and things like that, which you know we're also ingesting when we eat meat. So right. you know all, all these things go to to influencing not only our physical health but our mental health, our mental state of mind. You know it's it's no surprise that there's so much depression and anxiety and fear and paranoia in our present day society. When we have, you know, the majority of the population eating, um, you know, animals with, uh, you know, meat with with these hormones and chemicals in in it. Right, right, right. You know, it's something that I'm fond of saying on the show all the time, and it is our our number one job, our main job is to manage our vibration. And if we're serious about doing that, I think... I know we have to look at all aspects of how we're affecting that vibration. And I know for myself, um, I, I'm as guilty as probably any listener out there. So this isn't pointing a finger. This is, you know, another thing I always say is this shows as much for me or more for me than you. You're, it, it's a selfish selfishness. We're doing it for right. ourselves as well as you. So, you know, it's something that I think all of us, I know myself included, I need to get more diligent about, how, you know, uh, managing my vibration. And it's certainly something that I want to look into uh, that I w- hadn't really heard of before is this uh, concept of sentient vegetarianism. So uh, I, I look forward to exploring and investigating that a little bit more. Right. And as I said, it, it, you know, it's, it's one aspect of yoga, you know, of, okay. the, of the, the spiritual lifestyle, which, you know, with, you know all these different aspects um, go towards, um, you know, reinforcing that positive state of existence within us and, 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 you know, helping us with our meditation practice. And, you know, you say that, um, you know, it, this, this is, this is also for you. It's, it's also for me as well. You know, I'm, right. I'm also, I'm also struggling. Um, you know, we, I, you know, we all struggle to a certain extent in, 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 you know, in, in one way or another to manage our vibration right. and to try and optimize um, our, our, our vibration and experience of, um, you know, our, our sense of awareness. So, you know, this is, you know, I, I think this is a great thing that you're doing in, in, in doing these interviews and bringing these concepts to a wider audience. And, and we're, you know, it's, I, I think it's for all of us, you know, we're yeah. all in, in this together and we're Absolutely. all in the process of managing our vibrations and optimizing our, our, our state of existence and state of awareness and, and our um, interaction with others and the planet and the entire universe. Absolutely. And, you know, it's uh, why I do what I do here. And 
uh, it's essentially, I mean, here we are talking and we're getting on, you know, it's getting pretty uh, deep into our conversation now, so I won't keep you much longer, but essentially what we've done is we've what? Raised our vibration as we talk about these concepts and, and reflect on these concepts and some of the stuff, it's redundant for us and things like that, but it's it's necessary to Absolutely. just continually, it's like soul food, essentially, what we're doing uh, here. So it's, uh, it's a wonderful uh, you know, experience. Uh, a big part of um, spiritual practice is also, you know, um, this concept of satsang, which means good company, you know, right. hearing good things, speaking about good things, you know, spending time with like-minded people, um, optimizing one's environment. So this is all important, and this interview is also part of that, that we're, you know, we're, we're sharing the information um, that can lead to a more expanded sense of self and awareness. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Well, Dada, one question that I have for you that I always have for my guests is, do you have a story of synchronicity, serendipity, or positive paranormal happening that you would like to share with uh, myself and the audience? Uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't usually experience anything major. Like, you know, I, I'm, I'm quite envious of uh, Dr. Eben Alexander for having his near-death experience. I would love to have a... <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but you've got to get a rare form of meningitis that eats your brain alive <laughs> to get there, right? I would I'd, I'd, take, <laughs> I'd take it. Um, but, you know, I, I find that um, in my everyday experience, I, I, you know, I, I'd, say, I'd say every day, without exception, I experience little things that I would consider synchronous or serendipitous or, you know, because what happens in meditation is that you, you, you gradually develop a, a, a greater awareness of the connections within your life and that everything is happening for a particular reason. Um, the normal state of awareness is that, you know, when, we're not aware of, um, of, of why something is but many, you know, many times in my everyday life, something will happen, and immediately I'll connect it to something else. Um, right. And there are often things that happen that are connected with, you know, what I've been thinking about or what I've been. So you realize more and more and more that what you think about affects your um, physical reality as well, and your physical reality is a reflection of your mental reality, and that's, you know, that's all within the greater spiritual reality. So um, I find that, you know, the more, more I practice meditation, the more I feel a sense of connection and um, serendipity with, you know, everything that happens in my life. But there are, um, you know, I do, I do have in my meditation, of course, I, I, I do experience a lot of bliss and um, connection to the, with the universe. Well, Dada, this has been absolutely fascinating uh, to pick your brain, and uh, I appreciate you doing this so much. I do have a couple other things. One is you were kind enough to agree to do uh, on the outro here of the podcast to do a, a guided meditation for us, and uh, I really uh, I thank you for doing that. And this is something, if you're listening to this particular podcast and driving, you're probably going to want to pause it at that point. Uh, we don't need you getting too, uh, too zoned out while you're... Uh, operating heavy machinery. But um, before we get to the guided meditation, that I do have one last question I like to ask my guests to put them on the spot. And um, something tells me it might not put you on the spot as much as, much as some, but I'm going to try. Okay. What, what is the meaning of life in 60 seconds or less, the meaning of life according to Dada? 
Did you say 60 seconds or less? Yep. Okay. <laughs> but if you go over, I probably won't penalize you. Okay. No, no, no. I, I thought you said 60 seconds plus. I, but, yeah, I, but then I thought, oh, you must have said or less. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, the meaning of life, as far as I can tell, is to realize ourselves as the greater self, as the, as the um, to realize our own consciousness as the universal consciousness of this whole universe to realize our own state of, of being, of existence, as the, as the, um, the infinite existence. Simple but profound. I, I love it. Thank you so much for taking the time. And now, folks, what we're going to do is uh, take a few moments, and Dada is going to uh, step us through a guided meditation, as he often does uh, for people. And uh, he was kind enough to do it here at the end of this podcast. So it seems like a perfect fit to a wonderful conversation and uh, thank you again so much for for joining me dada oh it's been great to to talk to you uh, brandon um and thanks for having me on your show all right so so now we'll do a um i'll just give you a a, a little little bit of a taste as to what meditation is so we'll do a um a five minute meditation where i'll uh i'll, I'll guide you through um a short uh a short meditation. So, sitting with your uh, hands in your lap, your back straight, your eyes closed, breathing calm and relaxed through your nose. The more calm and relaxed your breathing is, the more calm and relaxed your mind will be. And feel that you are completely at peace. Feel peace and happiness all around you. Feel as though you are floating in an ocean of happiness. Not only happiness, but infinite happiness. Feel infinite happiness surrounding you, enveloping your being. Now feel that you are merging into that infinite happiness, the infinite consciousness within which you exist. Feel that your own self is merging with the infinite self all around you. Feel that your own consciousness is merging with the infinite consciousness all around you, within which your own consciousness exists. Feel that you are merging with, merging into that infinite consciousness and that you are becoming one with it. Keep feeling that you are becoming one with that infinite consciousness all around you, 
within which you exist. And ultimately feel that you are not only one with it, but that you are it. You are that infinite consciousness of the universe. And continue like that for another minute or so. Really try to deepen that experience in the next minute. And now you can gradually bring your mind back to your everyday reality and open your eyes.